Welcome to the Verite Podcast. My name is Sheena Souza, and I am honored to share my truth with you. The truth as I know it, what I have discovered and am discovering along this journey of life. Some will be universal truths, and some will be entirely subjective. But my hope is that as you listen to this, you will discover your own truths as we are all living and loving and learning together. Welcome, guys. Good day or good evening to you whenever you're listening to this. Let's talk about Haiti and my journey to Haiti. I get this question a lot. What led me there? I've got no notes in front of me. I'm just going to share looking back on the last five, six years and kind of giving an intro to what, what led me there. So, you know what? Growing up, I... I traveled the world with my family. I was very blessed to, oh, I don't like that word blessed, but I, I have been using it recently. I was very blessed to, to visit, you know, countries, cultures, cities. I can't even count how many times I've been to Hawaii growing up in the first 10, 15 years of my life. Uh, we traveled, we traveled all over and, and I was very grateful to experience so many other cultures, but I never traveled in a serving capacity. You know, we've been to Egypt, Israel, France, Denmark, England, Mexico multiple times, lots, lots of Mexico cities. But we never, I never did a service trip, humanitarian missions trip that wasn't, you know, part of my upbringing. And I was raised in a Christian home. I went to a private school growing up, and there were lots of opportunities to go on missions trips. And for whatever reason, anytime those came around, I was like, ah, I'd rather go to Cancun with my family. <laughs> I'd rather go to Hawaii. And so I did, I just, I opted to have the more pleasurable experiences. <laughs> and I remember in college, I went to, I went to Vanguard University down in, in Newport Beach, Southern California. And there was a couple opportunities then there. And I was like, eh. <laughs> it just, you know, call me selfish. I, I have a lot of selfishness through and through. I am an entirely selfish human being. And, and so I didn't. I missed out on a lot. And that's okay. For whatever reason, that's what happened. I had kids young, you know, engaged at 19, married at 20, had our first child at 21, even though we wanted to wait a very, very long time. <laughs> I had actually just gotten accepted to, to a master's program to go get my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. My bachelor's is in psychology. And I was very excited. I love school. I love learning so much. And so my husband and I wanted to wait a good five to seven years before kids. And five months after we were married, we got pregnant with our first daughter. And so, you know, my, my, the beginning of my 20s were really spent in the thick of motherhood. And, oh, it was, it was, it was crazy. I didn't have the typical 20s experience that a lot of 20-year-olds have. I, I graduated college in two years instead of four. 
my my sister graduated with her bachelor's in three, and she's older than I am. And the competitive side of me said, oh, I could do it at two, right? <laughs> so, so I did. I, I took, oh gosh, I don't know, 40 units at a time, 40, 50 units at a time. Went to a total of 11 colleges and universities simultaneously and graduated in two years and saved my dad at least 60 grand by doing that. And my sole motivation, other than being a little competitive with my sister, but my main motivation was to get married because all I wanted to do was be a wife and a mom. And that that's just what I wanted. And the wiser, more mature uh, Sheena right now, who is 33 years old, would would beg my daughters, beg them not to even consider getting married until they're like 30 <laughs> because it's, it is... Um, it's not something I would advise for a number of different reasons, and I'm sure that'll be a separate podcast. <laughs> so I spent, you know, the early part of my 20s in motherhood when I was, let's see, 25, 26. We took in a teenage, a teenage foster girl, and uh, so I had the, the, the parental challenges of, you know, parenting a teenager who had been through a lot of trauma, severe trauma, and simultaneously the the physical needs uh, that that little children demanded. So I had the emotional needs of a teenager and the physical needs, and I was just a mess, you guys. I was such a mess. And I was, let's see, 27, and I was sitting in the office of one of our friends who's a pastor at uh, the, the church that my husband had been on staff at for a number of years. And he looked at me one day and he said, Sheena, you got to get out of your little Roseville bubble. Get out of your little comfort zone. I'm taking a, a group of guys to Haiti in about two months. Do you want to go? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he was like, well, there's a Nordstrom. And I was like, okay, sign me up. Right? No, there, I knew there wasn't, but you know, he was, he was just messing with me. And there was this like fear in me, like that coursed through my whole body. And yet somehow I knew I needed to say yes. I was terrified. I like everything in me wanted to say no, but somehow I said yes. And two months later, I was on a plane, landed in Haiti with a group of, I think there was 11 guys and two other girls. And we were... The purpose of the trip was to go down to an existing organization that had an orphanage about an hour north of Port-au-Prince. And we were going to be there for five days and build bunk beds for these kids because a lot of these kids were sleeping on the floor. They were two to three to a bunk bed sharing a twin mattress. And they just they needed more bunk beds because this organization was was taking in a lot of orphans and and malnourished children and 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 children that needed care. So we land in the country and I'm tired. I'm like super jet lagged and irritated because I don't like being around a lot of people. I like my comfort zone. I like my alone time. And here I am, you know, with people all the time, <laughs> trying to be nice, trying to put a smile on my face. And I'm super tired. And we live in California 
And so typically the flight is California to Florida, overnight in Florida, either at either at a hotel or at the airport. And since we went with a church, we opted to not get hotel rooms and save money and just sleep, try to sleep in the airport, which you know obviously doesn't work. So so I was super cranky. So we landed in Port-au-Prince in the morning. Port-au-Prince is only an hour and a half flight from Florida. And it's crazy because it is, I mean, it's an, it's an entire world away. And yet it's only an hour and a half flight. And so we landed, and this was, you know, five, six years ago. And this was several years after the earthquake, right? So we're talking millions and millions have been pledged to this country to help in the efforts of, of re- rebuilding and stabilizing the country. And you land in the country and you go, gosh, where did all of that money go? I mean, it, for real, where, where, I don't see, uh, there. this is awful. I mean, it, it was in ruins. Port-au-Prince was like still in ruins. And this was f- four years after the earthquake. It was very sad. It was, it was also enraging. It made me very upset. And so, you know, we're dry, we're driving to our destination and I'm trying to keep my eyes open because I didn't want to miss anything. And I see this guy building, you know, little tiny coffins on the side of the road, little coffins. And I see all these kids walking on the road with without shoes, barefoot, and it's hot, you guys. It's uh, we went in January. And there's only two two climates really in Haiti. There's the dry season and the wet season. It pretty much stays the same temperature throughout, maybe varying 10 degrees or so, but it's it's pretty consistent. But it's the humidity that makes it, you know, severely unbearable. <laughs> but we went in January during the dry season and it was still hot. And the roads, they are, you know, they're hot to walk on. And all these kids, they just, they didn't have shoes and Lots of lots of skinny kids, lots of lots of poverty, and I hadn't seen poverty like that before. I, it hadn't been that close to me, and so you know we get to our place, and thankfully, you know we're actually we stayed at this resort, which is the used to be the 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 founder of the organization that we we work with, we volunteer with. This resort was actually her family vacation home that she used to go to as a child, and and it's right on the water. It's this beautiful view of the Caribbean, and the people in the village have this million-dollar view of the beautiful aqua turquoise waters, right? But none of that matters if you're starving. None of that matters if you don't have water to drink. This beautiful view, and it, it does them no good. And I remember driving along the highway, and Highway 1, Route 1 is what it's called, and on the right side, you've got utter poverty. I mean, no access to clean running water, no power, no electricity. And on the left side of the road are all of the vacation homes, the hotels, the resorts, the, the rich Haitians. And there's no middle class in Haiti. You're either poor or you're rich. And that was really striking because it was just so right in your face. You look on the right, 
utter poverty, you look on the left and there's the mansions. So we stayed on the left. And I'm such a brat, you guys. I, I remember complaining in my head and to my two roommates that I was like severely disappointed because the hotel was, you know, it's not a Hilton. It's not a Hyatt. It's not a Weston. It's really nice for Haiti standards. But I was a spoiled American brat. And I'm used to American standards, right? And so we check in and we have electricity at night, which is, which is, I've come to be grateful for, right? But then I was like, why don't we have electricity during the day, right? Like total, total jerk. And we stay in an older room, part of the, part of the resort that's a bit older. And I remember climbing into bed, just utterly exhausted, ready to like, just be done. Just, I want the week to go by quickly. And I, I pulled back the covers of the bed to climb in and this massive cockroach scurries across my pillow. And I was like, oh, heck no, heck no. And I scream and the other two girls scream. And then we lost it, which is the worst, right? Any woman knows that if you lose a spider or a bug or a cockroach, if you can't find it, that's just the worst. And then we see a couple more up in the, the beams, the wooden beams of our our room. And so we like scream for the guys to come help and they try to come help and kill a cockroaches. I think they, they found one, but there's plenty more in this, in this building. And so who can sleep that night, right? I, I could not sleep that night. I remember thinking, okay, I am going to get, get the driver to come back for me in the morning. I'll just go back to Port-au-Prince. I'll take the flight out to Florida. Uh, the rest of the group can stay back. They can build the bunk beds. They're not going to miss me. It'll be fine. I'm not staying here. I can't stay. I'm not cut out for this. I am, I'm a brat, right? I like Nordstrom. I like Whole Foods. This is not my, this is not Sheena style. And then a few hours into the night, I was like, wait, okay. I am legit the only blonde girl in this country right now, because back then it was quite different. There were, there were not a lot of Americans. We were the only Americans on the flight into the country. Like nobody was really going into Haiti. Now it's different. There's there's a lot more Americans and there's more blondes in the country, but then you just didn't see any. And so I was like, okay, I'm the only blonde girl in the country. I, if I sit in the front seat, I likely wouldn't even make it back to the airport alive. I'd probably get kidnapped. They would do the whole ransom thing. I'd end up dead. Okay. I might as well just stick it out and, and, you know, hang the first you know, finish the, the week off with the guys and then just be done. And so I did. And I remember telling Miss Kim, who is the director of the mission, I told her in the morning, I was like, yeah, I was thinking about leaving, but I guess I'll just stay. And she was like, you can stay. You got this. You could stay. And so I did. I stayed. And that next day we went on a walk up into the village and I remember seeing the kids of the village and this one little girl, she, she was so sad. She had this like look on her face. All the other kids were so excited to see us. They were like grabbing our hands and pulling on us and just singing and dancing and so excited to see a bunch of foreigners come visit them right out in the middle of nowhere. And this one little girl, she was so sad. She wouldn't smile. She wouldn't look up at me. 
She was barefoot. She was on. She was walking across the hot, hot rocks. And I looked down at her, and she had some cuts on her legs. And and I heard God speak to my heart and say, "Pick her up." And she was, I don't know, maybe six at the time, six or seven, maybe a little younger. And so I bent down and I picked her up and her face lit up. Oh, her whole countenance changed. And all the kids around her, all of her friends in the village, they looked at her and they started like ooing and aahing and and she would just smiled so big. And I just carried her and we walked and we toured the village and I just carried her. And that was one of the first moments that I was like, oh, I have lived for myself for far too long. And the rest of that week started just slowly revealing how much I have lived for myself and what I want and what I can gain out of life. And, you know, Connecting with the kids at the orphanage was great. There's this one girl. She, her name's her name was Bedsaika, and she was very very sick. And similarly, she she didn't smile. She was not happy. She was in a lot of pain. She had a number of different issues, health issues. And all the other kids were very excited to see us. But she was just, she really kept to herself. And for some reason, I was just drawn to her. And I, I made it my mission that week to get her to smile, to try to connect with her. That, that one, God sent me there for, for her in that orphanage that week. And throughout the days, as she would see me building the beds and and sanding the wood and painting and all the other things we did. You know, I'd catch her eye a few times and she'd start to smile. And then she'd come over to me and then she'd sit next to me. And by the end of the week, like she was full on laying in my lap and cuddling me and just, just there was some very deep spirit to spirit, soul to soul connection with Vedsaika. And so Friday came and it was time to go. Had a great time. It was exhausting, exhausting beyond words. And said goodbye to all the kids. And I remember us walking out of the orphanage and I started to tear up. And all the kids were calling my name as we were leaving. Sheena Souza, Sheena Souza, Sheena, just all calling my name. And I, I, it's like my heart had to like disconnect from the situation because I couldn't handle it of, of, of what I was doing. I was leaving all of these children who I had come to love so fiercely in such a short amount of time. And it's like my heart couldn't handle what I was, what I was doing and leaving. And I had my back towards them as we were walking away. And one of my friends, Pastor Bob, said, no, Sheena. You turn around. You turn around and look at what you're leaving behind. Let this impact you. Don't shut it, don't shy away from it. Don't shut it down. You turn around and look at them. And I did. 
And I knew in that moment that I was coming back to be with them. And that gave me such hope. I didn't know how it would happen. I didn't know when. I didn't know all the hurdles we had to get through to actually come live there with my family, with my husband, with my two daughters. But I knew I would someday. And so I left actually at, in such peace. And when I came home, the first words out of my mouth to my husband were, we're going to move there. And he was like, whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down. Okay, calm down. I know you just had your first missions trip and there's a, there's a high that comes with your first trip, right? With anybody's first trip. Your heart connects to that country in a very unique way. And I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm on a high, maybe, maybe not, but we're, we're going to move there. <laughs> and he was like, okay, okay, Sheena. And, you know, in the following months, that, that desire, that fire never went away. We continued to dialogue it and it just never went away. And so he said, well, let me go and see if my heart connects in the same way. And I was so grateful that he was willing to do that because he's an amazing man. He's a wonderful, wonderful, selfless man. Like we are the total opposite, you guys. He is selfless. Um, every bone in his body is selfless and every bone in my body is selfish. And so, so God really had knit our, our time together and uh, our relationship really well because, because he is, he's a servant. He's, and I've learned so much through him over the years. But so he, the following year, we went together, the two of us, and we went to another part of Haiti and then to that same spot that I went to. So we went to two places and his heart connected and he was like, yep, he met Betsyka and he was like, yep, it's time to see if our kids, if our kids connect in the same way. So we took them about two months later three months later, two months later, raised enough money and they were five and seven at the time. And I remember us being on the plane. We're like, what have we got ourselves into? And, and they landed and we went to Karyas, which is where my first trip was. And our girls loved the orphanage, loved the Haitian culture, loved being there. And at the end of their week, they cried. They didn't want to leave. These two little American girls, you know, with access to anything here at their fingertips, they wanted to be in Haiti. And I knew, you know, it wasn't just me. It was all four of us. God had put it in our hearts that we were supposed to be there and confirmed it. Not one of us had any sort of hesitation of, eh, I don't want to do this. We were all unanimously, yes, we're moving to Haiti. So we came home and uh, uh, a little while later gave our, gave our notice at our jobs. And, and shortly after that, a few months later, we, we moved to Haiti. So I think I will stop this episode right here and I will continue on in another episode of the first couple years in Haiti. 
because I have learned so, so much, so much. And yes, I am still selfish at times, for sure. But I am nowhere near as self-consumed as I used to be because I have seen what it is like to be in true need. In true need, not I want this. I think I need this. No, I have seen things that a lot of people have not seen. There are some. There are some who have traveled, some who have done missions, people in, uh, in the military, in the army. You know, there's a lot of similarities with, with what they have seen and places they have served to what we've experienced. And I'm so grateful. The pain and the, the turmoil of all of it, the darkness, I'm so grateful because it has shifted my perspective in a way that you can't go back. Once you know, you cannot unknow. Once you see, you cannot unsee the things you've seen. And I'm forever changed. And I'm forever grateful for Pastor Bob dragging me to Haiti. It's changed me forever. So if you have not done a service trip, I highly, highly recommend it. I can't recommend it more. I will shout it from the rooftops until I'm dead. Go serve anywhere. And if you want to come serve in Haiti, get in touch with me. I'll take you. It'll be great. Thank you guys for listening to this.